0: Uh, hey, everybody, we're going to wrap up our series on the church today because it's time to get back to Mark and the gospel yeah. according to Mark, and because uh, we, I want to wrap it up in a way that's practical, that's uh, hopefully helpful in applying these things. Uh, sometimes the questions are more uh, individual, more personal, and so we've been gathering some questions just through conversation uh, some of you called on the phone, others of you, uh, just, just approached with a question. And so Jeremy has kind of thoughtfully organized some questions and, uh, we're going to do this kind of interview style. Um, you're in charge. I just, I just, you know, I have such a pronounced leadership gift. I had to open sure. things up. So
1: no, it's good. Um, we, yeah, we've been in a series and we're, we're looking forward to getting back into Mark. Yeah. I just said all that. We, uh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, no, I get it. Um, so well, let's let's start with this then, Doctor <laughs> Dr. Duncan. Uh, what, uh, why why have we been going through a series on the church? Why the importance to even yeah that's a good question. some of those topics. Thank that's you. That's
0: a good question. So uh, I think that there there exists in every age, but in the age that we're in now an age of increased isolation and fear of community, uh, an age of quarantine, an age of, of pronounced individualism alongside of you know just the, the current events. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's unique to this age, but I think it's, it's a marker of, of this time. People are, are consumed with their screen time. They, they can be on their own, separate from others, uh, and they can build their own christianity through you know whatever they decide to follow on on social media and, and so i think the the danger is is that people come up with their own version of what it means to follow jesus so the individualism of americans a generation past that resulted in seeker sensitive churches marketing kind of christianity is still here but i think it's worse now because of the one-stop, gets-it-all-done approach to doctrine, theology, church, life on your phone. I mean, one popular preacher has an app. Lots of preachers have an app. But one popular preacher has an app called Church Home. And you can do church just on your phone wherever you are. You just dial in. And that kind of thinking does not... Understand what the New Testament teaches about the church, and so I don't want to only do a series in the church. I always want to be helping build college students, young adults, It's a ministry of people in their twenties, and they're making choices now about what their relationship to the church is going to be like, and that kind of decision and those sort of patterns for worship and for fellowship and friendship are going to be. Cemented in at this age and stage, and it's always been a been a danger for college students because of the nature of parachurch ministry. You know, Campus Crusade, IV, uh, you know, P, um, Young Life, whatever, like campus stuff. GOC, GOC. Well, I disagreed because <laughs> because here's the thing: there, there's lots of of parachurch campus ministries that. Have very little connection to a church. And so you go your college years and you just, you know, have this connection that's on campus. And on Sundays, you don't worry about it because on Wednesday nights, you go to, you know, crew or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with those ministries. I think they're good. I think they're used by the Lord. I think they reach people for Christ. I think they disciple people. But that's not the means that God uses to. Propagate his truth in the world. the The local church is the means. So, the reason I rebuke you soundly when you said GOC, which stands for Grace on Campus. Grace on Campus is supposed to be deeply connected and rooted to to our church. And so, when you know I'm at USC on on uh, Friday night, and thank you, and we're doing a, we're doing a little Q and A with Marily and I, and you know they're doing announcements and they're talking about rides to church. You know, it's just it's just so a part of what we do on campus that it can't be disconnected. Uh, from the life of of the larger body. So that, that's the reason. The reason is is that this age and every age that's gone before, that the church is understanding the church deeply and truly, which is the primary way that you're going to grow in your faith, is being connected to other Christians. That's where sanctification comes from. If that's cut off, then your Christianity will either be completely wrongheaded or it 'll turn into a weird cult, or it 'll be emaciated it'll, you just won 't grow you't you won 't thrive in your spiritual life if you 're not connected to the church so that 's why I, I like to talk about the church
1: so I think i 'm hearing you um, I did just sign up for a church in the metaverse is this is this good or bad yeah really?
0: no that's but that 's the thing it 's not new and it 's only going to be more opportunities like that and as society is driven by more opportunities to be afraid of each other and to isolate from yeah. each other, add to that the proliferation of electronic versions you know you, you Zuckerberg can get you you know in a room with your headset on by yourself, but you 're you know interacting with other creeps um, <laughs> virtually and that's just not that 's not how God intended us to live uh, he didn't he didn 't make us virtual people he made us actual physical people that you know Require the, the physical nature of humanity between each other. We need, I mean, the Bible probably eight times, and this, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, especially uh, creepy single dudes. The Bible eight times in the New Testament says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, that is not a lips emoji. It's also it's also you know got some cultural constraints, so don't get carried away. But it's something physical. It's it's affection, it's shown love. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is embraced by the Ephesian elders. You know what that's called? They say hug. It's a hug. <laughs> People need each other, they need physical proximity to each other. You can't live virtually and digitally. You need to put your phone away. And you need to be with God's people in real life, have face-to-face interaction. Uh, you, I mean, you cannot take the Lord's Supper at your house by yourself. And if that's a means of grace, and it is a means that God gives grace to his people, there's a reason that it touches your tongue and your teeth and your throat. And there's a reason that the, that little cup of, of grape washes down your throat and you take it together with all the people at the same time. Because together you're having communion with the presence of Christ. Not embodied in those elements, but embodied in the people that you are sitting around. So that can't be done in the metaverse. You've mentioned it twice now. The means. Or the multiverse.
1: You can't do it in... Well, that's... You know, who is Peter Parker? So if you... If you, you mentioned twice the means of grace. Okay. Let's flesh that out a little bit. How, first of
0: all, maybe yeah, it's a funny phrase. too. let me just say this, and then I'll, you give the second half. The means of grace is how you get grace. That's all I mean by means of grace. And like not, the means of the means of, of tacos is a tortilla. That's how you get the ingredients in your mouth. The means of grace. How do you get grace from God through means that He's appointed? Reading your Bible is a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace. Worshiping with other Christians is a means of grace. The Lord's Supper, baptism, all the things that God has for us that show us and give us His grace are means of grace. And the grace not of salvation, but of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ. Yeah, it's, grace is God's favor. So whether it's the first time you encounter it in saving grace, or as you kill sin in your life in sanctifying grace, or as you trust in His promises for the future in in hopeful future grace. I mean, grace is a big word for us, and it's, it's, there's a reason it's, you know, one of those prominent concepts in the Bible. Uh, grace says, God is giving you something that you don't deserve. Uh, God is blessing you. We just sang about my worth and my unworthiness. What a great line. Uh, our worth because we're made in the likeness and image of God, we're his children. Our unworthiness because we're rebels and sinners by nature and by choice. So we need grace. So that, That's just a quick what means yeah. what grace means, but keep going.
1: I, I don't know if you'll remember this, but I heard of a conversation you had with a young man who
0: basically was saying, I, I just had church in my car. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah. The and- Lord brings those to me every time I preach on the church. It's like a, 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 an example. So right. that was an old school one. It was a kid that used to be in my youth group, um, his name is. We will call him Seth because his name was Seth. And I ran into <laughs> he's him at here a today, Starbucks. Seth, actually, hey, Seth, if you could up? stand up. Uh, no, this was uh, many years ago in a very different place. But Seth was was just a barista, and I ran into him. hadn't seen him in years, and he was like college version of himself. Now I knew him when he was a high school kid, and he had just become a church hopper. Short story. And I asked him where he was going to church, and he's like, yeah, uh, "Duh, duh, you know, there." Sometimes, you know, that kind of answer. And I said to him, you know, then, you know, where, where's, eventually after the conversation rolled, I asked him, where's your accountability? Because that's what it comes down to. Uh, I had a conversation with a guy on the phone yesterday, a pen pal of mine. Uh, I, get, I got a random email from a guy who goes to school at one of the campuses in LA uh, two years ago, okay? 20, 2019 or 20, I think 2019, he emailed me the first time and asked me kind of a, a doctrinal question about, uh, campus ministry or something, and I shot him back a quick email, email and was like, hey, come up to me on Sunday. Let's let's talk. I'd love to talk about it. You know, I, I'm not a great emailer. I type, you know, 14 words a minute. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I'd rather just talk to you. So, or come by the week if you can. I'm, I'm here. Uh, that's why they pay me the medium bucks. You know, I'll, I'll buy you coffee. Oh, church budget, we'll buy you coffee. And And, you know, I'd love to meet up and talk. So, that began a series of emails for two years, and I never have met the dude. And I've never even talked to him on the phone, but he keeps emailing me about like joining the church. And, and I'm like, bro, so I literally talked to him on the phone, I think it was yesterday or the day before for the first time. Pen pals on the phone now, so it's getting you know closer. Um, but he had all these doctrinal questions, so I'm leaving the Seth story to tell you this similar story. And maybe he's here today. I'm not mad at him. I just I'm using him as a as a as an example that could help us all. Um, but he he's asking good questions, thoughtful questions, theological questions because he's been on YouTube for two years. He's been you know going to this church and another church and another church for for two years, and he's trying to figure out what he believes. And he's a Christian, but he's trying to figure out other stuff he believes. Like he's asking me about uh, prima scriptura or sola scriptura. Uh, do you know what that is? It, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, you, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter on the level of like I can't decide if I should go to this church or that church because of some obscure Latin phrase that I could explain to you. But it's not important right now. Like, you need a pastor, dude. You need you need fellowship. You need other Christians in your life. Like, you need somebody who's gonna who's gonna call you out on your sin and and help you grow and be your friend and. And reach out to you when you're missing. Like, that's so much more important than you understanding prima scriptura versus sola scriptura. I'm not saying that's an important historical debate, although it's not that important of a historical debate. And, And a thousand other questions that he had. But it just kept going back to, dude, you need fellowship you need accountability. You need a pastor. You need disciples. You need friends who are Christians or you're going to become super weird. You're going to build this like whole doctrinal understanding not on Nicaea and the churches that followed. You're going to build it on, you know, because you like the sound of Paul Washer's voice, you're going to start hard staring people all the time because you went down a YouTube hole. It's not healthy. That dude is not your pastor. And I'm not mad at Paul Washer. He's fine. He's a, he's a Christian. He's a pastor. He, he's on YouTube or whatever. But that's not healthy for that to be where you derive your spiritual life and identity from. It's deeply unhealthy. And for you to forge all these convictions about all these you know, minor points of theology, apart from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, who studied the Bible, who shepherded people for their whole life, to help you, that's what you need. You need people in your life, dude. You're going to you're get weird. You're going to join a cult or and, be a cult and, or start your own. It's all bad.
1: And it's all happened. Be, beyond the unhealthy, you said last week, rogue
0: sheep die. Rogue so, sheep die. I said that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get t-shirts made. But it goes beyond. Rogue eight, sheep die. I'll have a little cartoon sheep flipped upside down with some X eyes. I like that. We've got some designers done on that, yeah. uh,
1: but, it, but it, goes beyond, it goes beyond. Like, oh well, I could be a little healthier, and R-S-S-D. actually, your soul depends on this. It's my band, RSD Road Sheep <laughs> guy. Uh, before, if Christ is going to conform you into His image, right? You need the church.
0: Look, I, I in my last week when I was praying, I had in front of me a copy of, of a page of my notes that I never got to and it's a list of, of the one another's in the New Testament. You can Google it up and just Google list of one another's in the New Testament. Don't judge one another Romans 14:13. Wait for one another at the Lord's table Romans or 1 Corinthians 11. Accept one another Romans 15:7. Confess your sins to one another James 5:16. Build up one another 1 Thessalonians 5:11. That's 5 of them. There's like 85 of them. You can't obey any of those scriptures without one another. So tell me how you'd be sanctified, how you'd grow as a Christian if you can't obey 85 imperatives in the New Testament. You couldn't. You will be a rogue sheep that dies. Yeah, maybe you have like, you know, you, you can defend the faith against uh, the, the, I don't know, Buddhism or whatever, you know, you researched on the internet with Wikipedia. But you're not going to be able to grow in the, the fruit of the Spirit in your life unless that there's a, a place where it connects to other believers, to one another. So that's why rogue sheep die. Rogue sheep die because they get, they get lost in their own head. They get lost in their own lust and desires. They don't have a group of brothers or sisters around them who are going to provoke them towards love and good deeds. The church is so important. Being a part of a group like this is so important when the, the, the band has a broken wire for 20 minutes. That's not a point of annoyance for you. That's an opportunity for fellowship with you because you need fellowship. It keeps you alive. And so when we come in this room, when you go to Bible study uh, 30 minutes early and you hang out for an hour afterwards, all that is good. And just because you're not like memorizing the Bible in those moments don't devalue those moments because you're, you're connecting with other Christians, and that connection is life-giving and life-saving.
1: I want to move to the subject of gifts in a minute, but before okay. we, we get off of this topic, there's a very intimidating and for, for some, um, could even be a, a scary reality in the church. I had a conversation recently with someone who wanted to meet with me, um, and they were absolutely shocked. Okay. Uh, appalled, maybe, that, that Pastor John would stand up before communion service and yeah. name names. Right, right. And so this element of church discipline, uh, yeah. as that can look frightening and it can kind of look foreign, like why in the world right. would I subject myself to that? Can you talk about how that actually is a critical component of, of your soul's health?
0: Yeah, it, it's not only a critical component of your, of your soul's health, it is the most loving thing that anyone could ever do for you. So right now there's, there's somebody that I know very well who is leaving his wife and kids. He claims to be a Christian. He thinks this is what God has for him. And I've known him for 20 years. And it's the responsibility, I have a responsibility to call out his sin, to show him that he's lying to himself He's dishonoring Christ, and he's throwing away something that God had given him as a gift, his wife and his children, for his own lust and foolishness. And that is what we do in the church. Now, this is a rogue Christian, just like I was warning you about earlier, and this is often what happens when someone's disconnected from a church. But when that happens in the church, and it does... You will have all these relationships. You will have your church membership. You will have elders that watch over your soul, and they will come to you, and they will plead with you to turn away from your lust and sin and folly and be restored to your wife and kids and family. That's for the the extreme example of adultery. Now, what about you just doing something stupid? Let's say that you fall into a pattern of sin in your life. Well, somebody in your small group is going to talk to you when you confess your sin to them and say, hey, how can I help you with that? How can I pray for you? How can I hold you accountable? Now, that's not John MacArthur reading your name, but that is the first step given by Jesus in Matthew 18 about how to deal with sin. And that's what church discipline is. The word discipline throws you off because it sounds like spankums, um, and that's not, that's, that's not entirely wrong. Discipline does have an element of chastisement to it. But discipline also has, you know, nobody without discipline could run a marathon. That There's a training side to discipline. That There's that kind of, um, paideia is the Greek word for discipline, and it, it's like a word for pedagogy, for teaching, for, for instruction. And so part of discipline is, is teaching each other and correcting each other and helping each other. I mean, when you first became a Christian, for those of you who've recently become saved, maybe you didn't know you weren't supposed to cuss your head off. I mean, I remember having a conversation with a dear brother who'd become a Christian after later in his life. He was in the Marines, and he, he dropped a big cuss word on a, on a kid on a mission trip one time. Uh, not in anger, he just like used it like, casually, and he literally didn't know that it was like a bad word. He'd never been a Christian his whole life. <laughs> All these high school kids <laughs> and he's just like, What did I say something what what and so it 's just like an opportunity to like teach a guy and help a guy and correct the guy and it wasn't you know he felt awful, awful he was i mean he was like beat up about it, he but he had no idea because you don't know what you don 't know and and so that was just part of like you know growing in his faith and and learning what the Bible says about, you know, clean speech and, uh, <laughs> you know, the tongue. So that, that, that sort of thing, those are just small matters that we should be helping each other with all the time. Everything isn't like, you know, J-Mac's going to read your name if you, uh, uh, I don't know, commit some picadillo during the week. So that, that's not how that works. It's just a constant process of us admonishing one another, encouraging one another, helping one another, confronting one another, and forgiving one another.
1: Uh, while we're on the topic of communion and, and seeing church discipline in action yeah. and as an act of love, maybe just for a moment talk about communion itself. And for those who maybe don't understand it or feel unworthy to take it because yeah. they think this, I, I must attain a certain level of holiness before, right. you know, even Pastor John said today, um, examine yourselves whether you're worthy to take and partake of the table. What does he mean by that? What does Scripture mean by right. it? And should we be afraid to eat and drink at the Lord's Supper?
0: Yeah, so you, what you should do is you should start by by trying to understand it by reading the New Testament. Uh, read 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. That's kind of the, the key passage on the Lord's Supper. And then you can read about the institution of it in the Gospels when Jesus started it as a replacement for the Passover feast. Uh, the the meal is a meal of remembrance. That's the purpose of it, is to remember the death of Jesus in your place. And so, the Bible says to take it in a worthy manner. That doesn't mean that you are worthy in the sense of you're clean enough to take it. The meal is symbolic of the washing of our sins away. And so the whole prerequisite for the meal is that you would be a sinner that you're unworthy that you're that you are you're you need the blood of Jesus to to wash over you and cleanse you from sin and unrighteousness. Now, the instructions given in 1 Corinthians 11 have to do with how you're acting towards one another in the church. So if you're going to that meal to you know, fill up, which isn't a possibility in the way we do the meal now in the modern age, you know, and I mean, maybe some of you have a smaller appetite, but that, that's not just not going to do it for me. Um, but I mean, people would, you know, gorge at the love feast and, you know, cut in line and, or, or they would have an, a, an offense against one of their fellow Christians and they wouldn't fix that first. That was the apostle's concern is that if you're going in a time of reflection a time of remembrance about the sacrifice of Jesus, then it should be a time where you confess your sin. That's what it's for. We do it so well here at Grace. I love the way we do the Lord's Supper. I don't like the way that that we do the handing out thing because it's, I've had to help with that. I dodge that email like crazy now because I've messed it up so many times. Um, I, I'm, I'm a bad ballerina. I don't know how to, I don't know where to stand. I, it's, I mess up the system, so... It's better that I'm not involved in that system anymore. I think I'm actually banned. So, but I love to be, I love to take the supper with the church family because it's a its a slow, it's meditative, there's songs. The idea, if you're feeling like, I don't know if I'm up for it. Look, if you're a Christian, if you've committed to Jesus publicly, if you've been baptized, the first step of following Jesus is to, trust Him by faith, and then enter into the waters of baptism and confess Him as Lord. If you've done that, there's nothing that should prevent you from taking the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is a time of confession, of remembrance. It's a perfect time for you to talk to the Lord about your sin. Uh, Even better, you know, as the week leads up to it, you can see when we're going to have the Lord's Supper on the Grace Today or whatever, the church website. And you can you could prepare your heart for it, but that's just a matter of, of being mindful of what Jesus has done for you. So it doesn't require a second level of Christianity or, you know, I, I really did a good job that week reading my Bible to take the Lord's Supper. That, that's terrible thinking. It, it's a time for you to experience, to confess, and to hold on to your union with Christ. I believe that Christ's presence is real in communion, not in the elements. That's a Roman Catholic thing. That's, uh, there's, there's different historical teachings about the Lord's Supper, consubstantiation, transubstantiation. Our church doesn't believe either one of those things. But the Puritans, and, and I think this is MacArthur's position as well, believe that Christ is, is genuinely present when we take the supper together because he said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age and that taking this meal together reminds us that he's with us, reminds us that he's in us, that he indwells us and that we are in him and that he's freely given us his spirit. All of that, as you grow in your understanding of who you are in Christ, your identity in Jesus becomes a moment for you to contemplate that, think about that and savor that.
1: I want to go back to the mentioning of the one another's because you practically preached an extra point in your, Prayer last week. I had this paper and I
0: hadn't done them and I thought I would just pray. I think
1: you went through 85 of them. I might. It was a long prayer. Um, but so far in our conversation on membership, we've been focusing on, on how we receive the means of grace, how I'm helped, yeah. how I become more like Christ. Yeah. But church membership really mm-hmm. is an act of selflessness. It's really good. Yep. It's membership for the good of others. So, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says an interesting phrase. It, even the less esteemed members of a church yeah. are indispensable oh, of course, to the body. Yeah. So how is each member here, a part of great church, especially a mega church? we lose this, where it's like yeah. it can feel like such a machine at points, and you go, well, it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. How is Terrible. membership
0: yeah. an act of selflessness for the good of others? Yeah, it's, it's so important. And let me, let me show you through one of the one another's why this is. And this is true if you're at a tiny church with 17 people or a big church with 17,000 people, okay? Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens. That's not talking about people in Albuquerque. That's not talking about people in the greater LA metropolitan area. That's not talking about bearing burdens with the crowd at the Super Bowl. That's talking about bearing one another's burdens in the context of a local church, in this case in Galatia. It translates to a responsibility that you have to other brothers and sisters in this church, in the church that you're in, to help them carry the things that weigh them down. That's just one of them. And so how can they do it without you? The whole point is is that they can't. How do you bear someone's burdens? Well, you... You encourage them, you pray for them, you remind them of spiritual truth, cast your cares on him for he cares for you, First Peter. And, and you say, you know, is there any way I can help you? Because you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling burdened, whatever. Your responsibility is to these other people in the church. All of us have felt burdened before. All of us have felt, you know, the weight of our problems before. And you're not intended to carry those alone. Jesus wants to carry those for you. And the way that he carries them so often is through other people coming up next to you. Maybe people who are a little bit older than you. Maybe people who are a little more spiritually mature than you. Or maybe somebody who's just in a season where they're not feeling so burdened down right now and they can help you carry what you're carrying. That's an awesome example of why your church needs you. So the more people in our church, the more burdens we have. So the more burden bearers that we need. Take it to, let's do a different one, Ephesians 4, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another. The Bible repeatedly tells us, Hebrews 13, encourage one another. All those encouragements to encourage, well, there's as many people in this church to encourage as there are people in this church. And, and it's especially true of someone who's discouraged right now. But I think even a, a, a regular encouraged person could use some encouragement, right? I mean, don't you love to be encouraged? Like, yeah. Jeremy, you're doing a good job with this Q&A. Seriously? Yeah, you, you like prepped for it. You wrote several Thanks, pages though. of notes. You texted me last night. Yeah. We've been talking about it for a few days. You're doing a great job. Doesn't that feel good? I genuinely mean it. Isn't he doing a great job? And so like expressions of, yeah, I'm not going to give you a holy kiss or anything. We just wanted this was one another. Yeah, no, but I mean, people need encouragement. Like, it's not just giving somebody some strokes. It's like, it's helping them see that they're doing well. And it encourages you to continue to do well and continue to. You know, to know that, that people are grateful for what you're doing when they prayed for you. To text them and say, hey, you really helped me. I know that we were just talking on Sunday, but when you told me you know, how the Lord answered your prayer when you were in that situation, it really helped me. It gave me some hope. Like we, That's what you need people in your life mm-hmm. who are going to help you walk with Jesus. That's what the church is for.
1: And, and that doesn't require a name badge because you're at the Welcome Center. Eh, badges. It, it doesn't require something or need formal, no official. I mean, this is literally you sitting next to a person right now, and after this Q and A, turning to them and saying, "So, how are you?"
0: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be weird. You know, it doesn't have to be weird, like you know, strange. Everyone turns stuff. to themselves. And it's something. gonna. I mean, maybe that. You know, you can do that. It depends on you know how you're yeah. wired. Some of you aren't good at that, but um, that's not to discourage. Well, take the you. text trail. You know, yeah, text w- them. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, it's not just like cold call, like. You don't have to only do it by like, hey, there's someone who I think is good looking. I'm gonna, you know, talk to them and try to encourage them. Don't, but does that make a bad it idea? weird? No, it's a good idea for some of you, but don't make it weird. And, and you know, when she turns and walks away, you just take that as a sign from the Lord, God's providence. So, so here's the thing: the the best avenue for this isn't just you know coming in here and just like a random. You know, hello, how are you? Okay, may I encourage you, person, I don't know your name. It would instead be the organic and natural way of building relationships, which is why it's good to have a Bible study. It's why it's good to go to a small group. It's why it's good, and it's great to meet new people, but let's, let's go beyond, you know, some kind of wooden, you know, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? And actually get to know one another and, and, and help one another and serve one another. So that, that's, that's what that looks like.
1: It's it's beautiful to see the, the church operating is so against that raw individualism of our culture. Um, yeah. Dunk, you've been serving college students for years. What would you say are like some, some primary misconceptions that college students might have about
0: the church? What are some primary misconceptions that college students might have about the church? Oh... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's lots, right? It'd be things like uh, the church. I think here, the one I hear a lot is is the church is too big, and so there's not a place for me. You know, there's too too many people there. But that for me goes more people, more needs, more people, more opportunities for ministry. Um, other things that college students think is uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, No. What else? Yeah. Did you have something in mind, or you wanted me to pull that out? No. You were doing really good at the questions until that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Okay.
0: So that's admonishment. Like it's to help you
1: do better. But then someone could encourage me afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Great. I thought it was a great question. You just couldn't think of anything. Yeah. 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 And that's divisiveness. Don't don't say bad things
0: about your pastor. That's rude. Sure. Um, Okay. Let me find another question here. Um, Uh, I can I can think of other things. I mean, so let me let me do this one. So sometimes people think the way to serve in a church is a very official capacity. Like they need to become a pastor or they need to have a job like given to them. Like they, gotta, they have to set stuff up or stack chairs. Stacking chairs, by the way, when we stack chairs in this room sometimes, you know, when there's a meeting after or something, we got to stack chairs. That's a great way to impress girls, fellas. I mean, just like your chair stacking strength. Very cool. Just think about it. That's how I met Merrily, stacking chairs. Because I'm, I'm tall and I can stack yeah. them super
1: high. And women are looking at how many chairs you have. Oh, that,
0: that is, that's the first thing they notice. They're noticing. yeah. yeah like he has four, but he yeah. has this five. This is not a relationship Q&A. This is, right. a, this is a church Q&A. So, sure. so back to it. So I think the common mistake is the way I serve in a church is like through an official capacity. And, and there's plenty of opportunities like that. You can serve at Shepherds Conference. You can help set up the donuts. God bless you. You can you know help with the sound all, all that stuff is is good help you can serve in the band whatever those, those are good helps and they're and they're a great way to serve but the more you know the more available way is to just be here to to live your life here to build friendships here to to encourage your bible study shepherd by showing up by you know engaging with your small group People that like that is an act of service to one another, and you know. So I think sometimes college students think, well, you know, I really gotta, I gotta help with fifth graders, you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna serve the Lord, and I'm not trying to discourage that help, but you realize, like, your engagement in ministry here with the other crossroaders is of equal value. Of any of those things, just because you don't have a name badge or a you know you're not people aren't like calling you well, I'm on the volunteer staff of the security team that that's fine if you you tase the people that that's that's a perfectly valid way to serve, but I do think it's more valuable for you to build relationships here and with one another than it is to tase people, and God bless the taser sometimes yeah. people need to be tased,
1: sure. I know there's, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's there's some who, uh, well, recently I've I've had a couple interactions um, with students who, I think they would say amen to everything you've just said for the last however many minutes. Amen, a solid amen. But they they are dipping in and out of different churches. Okay, and Grace is one stop along the way. And I just had a conversation with yeah. a young man. And I said hey, I want to talk to your pastor at the church where you're a member. And although he was a member at a different church, he really didn't have any pastor there. Right. What would you say to the person who is, and maybe would see themselves as like, right.
0: overly committed to the church, because look at all these churches I'm a right. part of. Um, it, I, I wish they would just go to that other church. I, it's not a, like a competition. I don't care if they come here or there. They need to commit to a people, because you have 52 Sundays a year. You get the coronavirus once a year, 51 Sundays a year. So, so you, you're, you have a limited number of Sundays to be with God's people. You split that between two churches and you're barely around. It's, it's bad rhythm for worship life. And you will not really be connected, which is, I think, what is appealing to that person. I think that they think, well, I'm going to find her if I go there, or maybe you know, I'm just increasing my fishing pool. I think, that's, I think that's foolishness, and I think it's going to show in a lack of commitment and a lack of faithfulness and a lack of opportunities to know people and be known by people and therefore to grow in your faith. So I think it's shady, honestly, to go to multiple churches. Shady hmm. and shifty and unsafe and unwise boom and that's not to try to say like this is the only real church i'm not saying that there's plenty of good churches in this fair city that teach the bible that will watch over your soul that you know there is a list of things you look for when you look for a church which that question's coming up um you look for you know teaching the bible expository Mm -hmm. preaching uh, they open the Bible, they go verse by verse, they don't just do like, you know, we're doing a series on the Lord of the Rings, or, you know, hey, uh,
1: I don't I could know, actually, that's... I wouldn't mind that one. No,
0: though. no, I don't like but it. T- Teach the Bible, make sure they're teaching the Bible, and not just like random stuff every week, or, you know, we're doing a series based on this new movie that came out. Run away from that weird stuff. Go to a place that's teaching the Bible, you know, from the Bible every week, and, You know, have it be a church that has leadership that's godly, leadership that's godly, you know, stuff like that. Uh, A church that cares about reaching people for Christ. They talk about evangelism. Uh, A church that, uh, you know, actually has membership, which eliminates a ton of churches because a lot of churches are just a show. I talked about that last week.
1: You, you, well, not grew up, but some of your formative years were in a church mm-hmm. that didn't believe in membership. A Calvary
0: Chapel Let's kind Let's talk of about church, that. Yeah.
1: What was your experience? Some, some students here, their only experience after yeah. coming to faith is Grace Church. Sure. But, but you've had quite the spectrum.
0: I've been at three churches in my life. One that I grew up in. Uh, four churches, I'm sorry. Uh, when I was a kid, I heard the gospel in a church in Arizona. I got saved when I heard the gospel from a Sunday school teacher, a little Calvary Chapel church. My family moved to Albuquerque. I grew up at a big Calvary there. Um, and Calvary doesn't have membership. They don't have the best ecclesiology. That's the doctrine of the church. Uh, but they're, they're, they're good. They preach the gospel. Uh, they, they, they love people. Their theology is too man-centered for me. So I, I'm not there anymore on purpose. But the Lord was good to me in that church, and he taught me so much uh, about you know believing the Bible, about reaching lost people, so i 'm grateful for those formative years. Eventually, I grew up out of that and saw a need for a deeper teaching of the scriptures than I had received in those years and, and that 's not to disparage those people i mean there 's good godly Christian people in, in those kind of churches and in that church that i 'm thinking of, but there was you know obvious problems there was a, a mildly charismatic kind of man centered on on their theology and and not a strong doctrine of the, of the local church, the stuff we're talking about today. So as I learned those things, um, I, I actually went on staff as a youth pastor at another little church that had other deficiencies, but it was a fine little church, and I learned a lot there uh, from the pastor there, but it was, again, a church that was very weak theologically. And so the only really, like, very healthy church I've ever been a part of was when I moved here to come to seminary and join Grace Church. In fact, that was, I think, the only church I'd ever been a member of because those other churches didn't actually practice membership. So, you know, I I, I think that gives me a little perspective because I didn't, I didn't grow up at this church. And, you know, I, there, I've been here a long time now, but I've been at other churches. And then, you know, as a, a professional Christian, I travel to... <laughs> As a joke, I travel to other churches, so I 've visited tons of churches i 've been to lots and lots of churches, but i 've been a part of those three churches and, yeah. and there's the difference the main difference I would say is one, solid theology, good doctrine is what marks a church like this out, really fastidious about what we believe, and a commitment to care for the people in the church which was present at the small church i worked at but it was very informal because there was no membership process and there was no church discipline there so when somebody went haywire you know they they leave their family or whatever um or they fall into sin there was no formal process of dealing with that which is one of the purposes of the church is church discipline there's i mean it's mentioned all over the new testament it's 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 identified by Jesus in Matthew 18 in a prophetic way as being a part of how the church will care for those who fall into sin. And then it's mentioned repeatedly in the epistles. 1 Corinthians 6 would be your big example if you don't know about church discipline. I think it's such an important part of of choosing a church that I wouldn't go to a church anymore that doesn't practice church discipline because of what it signifies a concern for holiness, a concern for spiritual care.
1: You mentioned being a professional Christian, I'm making, professional making Christian. the medium money. Um, right. I think some people could say, yeah, we get it, Dunk. You are excited about the church because that's your job. I'm a pastor, yeah. Um, but your burden really is for,
0: for all of us to be excited about the church. Look, if I quit being a pastor tomorrow, I would be a sanitation driver or something, and or I'd, I'd teach you know, medieval, medieval history. Uh, or I would, you know, I don't know what I would do. I'd be in real trouble. I'd swing a hammer. Um, Long but if I quit being a a, a, a a pastor tomorrow, I would still be a Christian, and I would still go to church on Sunday. I'd still go to this church, I hope, because I live like 10 minutes from here. So, my love for the church isn't because I shepherd people in the church. It's because I'm, a sinner who's been saved by God's grace and purchased by the blood of Christ, and I need to live in community with, with my brothers and sisters too. When I'm, I I was joking when I say I'm a professional Christian. That, that's that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's 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 deeply untrue. There's no such thing, and, and there's no such thing as like you know a pastor being this this other level of Christianity. I mean, I, I have the same you know burdens you guys have. Now, thankfully, I've, I've 20 years past my college years, 10, 15 years, whatever. And sorry, I was doing math. And <laughs> I think it's 25. And, and so hopefully I can I can pastor college students in a way that could be helpful to them because I've been where they are. And I understand what they're what they're going through. Uh,
1: final word, um, the final as we word. close here. Well, I've got a couple of final words. Now I'll, I'll do this one. I, I, maybe do you have a word for why it's so important for young people to form convictions about the church and and what it means to be a good churchman, good churchwoman early on in their life? Why is it so important now? Why can't they just worry about the church, you know,
0: when life is a little less fun? I'll give you I'll give you two reasons. One um, that's habitual, and one that's relational. Habitual. Uh, this is the time in your life when you're forming disciplines and habits that you will have the rest of your life. And so, if it is your discipline and your habit to get up on Sunday morning and go to church, that's going to be a, a strong spiritual discipline that you take into the rest of your life when you have little kids that are fussy and you got to get them dressed, and when you got to put the teenagers in the car, and when you got to, you know, have a hip replacement. So. Those are the only stages of life I could think of. Those ones right there. <laughs> and Because I'm going through them all right now. So this is my actual hip. Uh, but Not for long. <laughs> but uh, the habits that you form in this time in your life, especially pertaining to spiritual discipline, will be with you the, na- the rest of your life. That's the nature of a habit. And so form good, godly disciplines and habits in your life. The second reason that this is so important at this age and stage is relational. And I mean that in two ways. You need relationships at this age and stage to keep you from doing stupid stuff. You're not as wise as you will be someday. And just like right now, everybody do this with me. Think back to your freshman year. Okay? 2018 or whatever it was. Okay? Your freshman year in high school. Not your freshman year in college. Look back. All the way back to your freshman year in high school. I know, it hurt, didn't it? It hurt, like your complexion is worse. Your skills were worse. Your fashion was worse. Whatever. You remember your freshman year? Think about how much, how much has changed. For most of you, things have improved. Things have stabilized since you were 15, right? That's going to be true four years from now. Think about what you need in your life to make that jump from 15 to however old you are now. Think of the things that could have gone better. Think of the things where you could have saved yourself some hurt and some heartache. You could have made a better choice, you could have been more wise. You can actually do that now if you engage your life in relational accountability. Pick for yourself friends in church that are going to help you grow, not pull you the wrong way. Don't make the same mistakes you did four years ago. So that kind of relational wisdom is what the church has for you. Find people in your Bible study around you who are going to promote your spiritual good, who are going to help you Fight sin in your life and make good progress in your life. This is also the age and stage that you're likely going to fall in love love. V-v-v. And you want to fall in love with someone who is going to fit that same category, like someone who is going to be for your spiritual good. Someone who's not going to ever push you into sin. Someone who's going to promote holiness in your life and theirs. Someone who's going to love the church because Jesus loves the church. So, if you're going to be a spiritual ecclesiastical hobo through your 20s, no wonder you're not going to find a spouse. No wonder they're going to be a knucklehead because you're a knucklehead. So, make better picks of who you worship with, who you unite your life with, who you're going to be friends with. Because those are the people you're going to spend the rest of, or those are the kind of people you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And maybe one of them, you will spend the rest of your life with. Like in a covenant marriage, which would be awesome, because God invented marriage for human happiness and holiness. So, you want to, you want to be the kind of spouse that you want. Which is... Somebody who loves God and loves his people. That was just like me angling the fierce desire for romance in this room mm-hmm. for ecclesiological purposes. Yep, felt the tension and you utilized it. I love yeah. it. Uh, that's a great they final together.
1: word. Uh, ATD, thank you so much. Jeremy, vote JV,
0: you've done a good job, JV. This has been fun. This has been fun. Give a hand for today. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, Will you pray for the people? Yeah, let me pray.
1: Father, thank you so much for your church. Lord, we see how it impacts every soul here for good. Lord, help us to be uh, those committed to the church just like Christ is committed to the church for our own good, for the good of those sitting next to us and for the good of your glory, the promotion and advancement of your kingdom. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the church. What a gift it is in the name of Christ. Amen.